Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. We are here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. Right now, we're studying the book of Revelation in a series called The End is the Beginning. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. And welcome back, friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. We are in Revelation chapter 2, and we're talking about the church at Ephesus. And that might uh, ring familiar to you, especially if you are a Bible student, because uh, the Bible says much about Ephesus, uh, whether it be the, the great uh, conversion of so many. They're in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20. Ephesus is featured so largely. Or how about the book of Ephesians or even the book of First Timothy? or the book of 2 Timothy, all of those books would help us to understand better the people of the ministry in Ephesus. You could even go to books like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Why? Because those were books that were written from Ephesus to uh, the church at Corinth. Uh, Paul references the great door that was opened unto him in Ephesus, the many adversaries. And so the church at Ephesus features so largely in the New Testament. And what's interesting is in Revelation chapter 2, John is giving a message from Jesus to the church at Ephesus, a church that received all the other messages about 30 years before. So in many respects, what we're seeing in Revelation chapter 2 is a second generation church. And what we've learned already about this church is, wow, they work hard and they are, they are laborious in their efforts for the gospel. And they are doctrinally pure. They recognize error and they don't put up with it. Now watch what the Bible says in verse number three of Revelation chapter two. And thou hast borne, and hast borne, B-O-R-N-E. In other words, put up with, like bearing the labor, bearing the burden, uh, bearing the persecution. Thou hast borne, and hast patience. There it is again, reiterating their endurance. And for my name's sake, hast labored and hast not fainted. Well, what a church. Uh, They've not been weary and well-doing. Uh, They are laboring. They are continuing on. They've been faithful in season and out of season. Is it not interesting that that's the terminology that the Apostle Paul gave their leader, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he said, preach the word in season, out of season. Well, the entire church has behaved that way. Uh, they've, They've hung in there. They've put up with it. You would think that Jesus is going to give them a marvelous reward. I mean, after all, wouldn't you love to have those things said of you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if your church could receive these accolades from the Lord? Work hard, doctrinally pure, hang in there, faithful. I mean, these are great and magnanimous words that Jesus is using concerning this church. Watch now the contrast, though, in verse number four. Nevertheless, so in spite of these accolades, in spite of these great qualities, in spite of all of the things that have just been enumerated by Jesus to this church, nevertheless, nevertheless, Jesus says to this church at Ephesus, I have somewhat against you. 
the idea there is I have this particular thing against you. So all of these good things do not in any way counterbalance what I'm about to say. I I could say as a doctor, and I'm not a doctor, by the way, but uh, for sake of illustration, if I were a doctor and examined you for a annual checkup, I could say that uh, you are doing well in a number of different areas. I could say that your blood pressure is good. I could say that your cholesterol level levels are good. I could say that, hey, I looked at your, your mouth. You don't have any cavities. I tested your hearing and your hearing is right. We looked at your eyesight. It's 2020. I could give you all kinds of good reports. But if I told you that and said, but you now we did find this cancerous spot in your lung. Now, that would be life-threatening, wouldn't it? Even though there's a good report about all these other parts of your body, if I found a a spot on your lung that was cancerous, that kind of negates all of the good report that you've just received. Well, that's what's happening here. So Jesus said, hey, here's a good report about this area, about that area, about this thing and that thing. But let me tell you the one thing that is going to make all the other things obsolete. Watch what it says in verse number four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, I know that as Bible-believing Christians, many of you have heard messages on this passage and uh, no doubt you're familiar with this verse, but I want you to consider a couple things. First of all, the one thing that Jesus points out that is debilitating this church is in the aspect of love. So the priority of the Christian life, obviously, is love. It's the better way that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the very motivation for why we live our lives. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians? The love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, Paul said the motivation for why I do what I do is the captivating love that Christ has for me and the corresponding love that I have for him. Because we love him because he first loved us. I do what I do because of the love of Christ. Uh, John said in 1 John 3 and verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Later in that same book, John said, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. What's the point? The point is that there is a priority in the Christian life. And the priority in the Christian life was, I think, best explained by the Lord in answer to a question in Matthew chapter 22. And that was the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. You can take the entire scope of the Bible in regard to man's responsibility and distill it really to two commandments. And that is love God with everything you are and love your neighbor like you love yourself. If you could, if you could fulfill those two commandments to their perfect degree, you would, in, you would in essence be keeping the law because that's the focus. The focus is our relationship with God and others. The first four commandments of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, deal with our love for God. The last six, our love for our fellow man. And so there it is. And what the Bible says is that the church at Ephesus, while it was working hard, and the church at Ephesus, while it was so doctrinally pure, and the church at Ephesus, while they were so faithful to keep on meeting in spite of persecution throughout the years, they had left, not, not lost, uh, lost almost absolves us of accountability and responsibility. Well, I just kind of misplaced my love. No, they made a conscious decision to do the things they did, not motivated by a love for God and others, but really just out of maybe duty, Made out, maybe out of uh, maybe a sense of self-worth, like look at us, look at how right we are, look at how hard we work. They had allowed ministry to replace their love for God and others. They had left their first love. Now, it's not hard for us to understand that because we, all, we understand what first love is. All of us, all of us understand that. Remember when you first fell in love and got married, first love didn't make a difference what you had, where you lived. Uh, you had each other. Remember when you first trusted Christ as your Savior. Couldn't wait to read your Bible. Couldn't wait to spend time praying. You were just in awe that God would listen to you. You didn't know the, the language of prayer. You didn't know the big fancy words. You didn't know the difference between propitiation and justification, sanctification and imputation. You just knew Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the B-I-B-L-E, and yes, that's good enough for me. And Sometimes if we're not careful, we allow our growth, and I'm using quotation marks now, we allow our growth in grace to move us beyond these basic principles. And that's never, that was never God's intention. We should never grow out of our love for God, but we should build upon it. And what we learn from the Bible and how we learn doctrine and how we serve God ought to feed and fuel the love that we have for him, not replace it. Too often, ministry becomes a replacement for the motivation that we initially had. I find a great example of that in the story of Martha and Mary. Now, here was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, I mean, ensconced in that first love attitude toward Jesus. And here is Martha uh, doing, laboring, not quitting, all the things that we just said about the church at Ephesus, and yet she was missing it, wasn't she? She was missing that first love relationship, motivation. It was actually causing her to get bitter, causing her to look down on others. She wasn't loving Jesus 
She wasn't loving her sister. She was doing ministry. And I wonder how often in the name of ministry, we're doing ministry without loving God as our motivation, loving Christ without loving our fellow brother. We're doing it out of a sense of duty. We're doing it out of a sense of, uh, of mechanics. But ministry is no longer motivated by the love that we've left. Remember what I said yesterday? The Apostle Paul prayed specifically for this church, that they would know the love of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, be captivated by it, be energized by it. I think the danger of second generation Christianity is that they know all the answers. They can get an A on all the Bible tests. They can quote word perfectly all the verses. They know all the isms and all the ologies. But what about that first generation discover the grace of, be captivated by the love of Jesus Christ? Boy, nothing can replace that. That's why Paul said, though I have the, 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 all these great gifts and great faith that I could move mountains and all of these spiritual skills, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. It all comes back to this first love. So I do hope that helps today. I know that we're taking a little bit longer on this first letter to Ephesus, but I think that this really will kind of set the theme for all of, of the churches that we're going to learn about. And I hope I'm not taking too long on it because I, I think this speaks right to our heart. So that's it for today. We'll jump into the last part of this letter to the church at Ephesus next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.